0: passage from the Bible that we're going to be looking at, is John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11, a familiar passage. Uh, Allow me to read this out for us. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin, who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her woman where are they has no one condemned you she said no one lord and Jesus said neither do I neither do I condemn you go and go and from now on sin no more this is the word of the lord how is this passage relevant to us today as we together consider this passage this morning, uh, I think we can safely say there's no one here who's committing adultery. I think we can also safely say uh, there's no one here with the intention of discrediting Christ, of proving him wrong, because that's what these scribes and Pharisees uh, in this passage were trying to do in this incident. And so if there are no adulterers here, and if there are no Jesus haters here, uh, how is this passage... Relevant to us. Why should we give this passage any attention this Sunday morning? In every reading of this passage, I'm sure uh, we've all come away feeling sorry for this woman who was shamed publicly and also feeling angry at the heartless Pharisees who, who shamed her in this way. And in reading this passage, our emotions toward the sinful woman and, and the Pharisees are so strong that we completely miss out a third group of people who are also integral to this passage. Look at verse 2 uh, from the passage we read. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Apart from the sinful woman and the Pharisees and Christ himself... There was also a whole bunch of people watching this rather uncomfortable drama unfold. This event was happening at the temple. In in Jerusalem, the temple was one of the most public of spaces. And in this already public space, we can safely assume that there would have been more than the usual number of people, because this passage tells us that more people came to listen to Jesus. And so when, this, when these Pharisees dragged this woman caught in the act of adultery, all these people were also very much a part of the scene. They had not signed up for this. They had not signed up to see a, a woman being shamed publicly. They had not signed up to see the Pharisees to try and trick and trap Jesus. They had not come to watch this rather uncomfortable drama unfold. And yet here they were, caught in what was happening there. What, was it a mere coincidence that these people were there? Or, do you think they were there because Jesus wanted them to be there? With Jesus, there is no accident, there is no coincidence. And I hope it's becoming clear to us why this passage is relevant to us today. Just as Jesus wanted the people to see and consider this drama that is unfolding, this woman being caught in adultery and these Pharisees trying to accuse her and to trick Jesus, just as Jesus wanted, had these people watching, Jesus also wants us to see and consider this drama. This passage is relevant to us for a simple reason. Seeing how Jesus judged this sinful woman gives us some pretty deep insight into who Jesus is and what he came to do. This passage, how Jesus judged this woman takes us to the very essence of who Christ is. And so I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. First, the trap that was set Second, why this trap is so relevant to us. And third, the power and beauty of Christ. The trap that was set, why this trap is relevant to you and I, the power and the beauty of Christ. Let's look at the first thing, the trap that was set. The Pharisees were pretty obviously trying to trap Jesus. They thought they had trapped Jesus In a a pincer, Uh, they dragged this woman to him and and they told Jesus the law of Moses, the law that God had written in his own hand on a tablet of stone and given to Moses. The Pharisees said, The law that was given to Moses says this woman who's caught in the act of adultery must be stoned to death. And they turned to Jesus and asked him, How do you judge this woman? If Jesus forgave this woman and let her go, these Pharisees would have held Jesus guilty of breaking God's law. And Jesus was there saying he was the son of God. If he was the son of God, how could he break God's law? On the other hand, if Jesus did not forgive her, if Jesus said, stone this woman according to God's law, If Jesus had done that, then Jesus would not have been demonstrating the mercy and the compassion and the grace that he came to shower on people who were struggling. And so the Pharisees thought they had trapped Jesus. They thought there was no way out for Jesus. You know, Jesus had a really easy way Out of this trap. He he could have taken a very easy way, but Jesus did not take the easy way out. The last time I checked, it, it takes two people to commit adultery. You can't commit adultery alone. And according to God's law, given through Moses, the very law that these Pharisees who were trying to trick and trap Jesus, the law they were quoting, that's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, which says. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. While the Pharisees had the woman, the man was not there. And The passage says they caught the woman in the act of adultery. So maybe the man escaped, maybe they let the man escape, we don't know. Either way, the man was not there. And, and Jesus could have just taken the easy way out and told them, well, bring the man and I'll judge them both together. And that could have been an easy way out of, out of this rather complex situation. But Jesus did not do that. Instead, you're going to see in the sermon and in the passage, Jesus showed them that he had come to offer mercy and grace by fulfilling the law not by breaking it. I'll come to that later in the sermon. But for now, let's look at the second thing this passage is inviting us to see. How this trap is so relevant even to us. More often than not, we tend to think when we see this passage, we tend to think that this was a trap that was set only for Jesus Uh, but, But in reality, every one of us, we also need to deal with this trap in our everyday life. All through his life, Jesus consistently taught that there are two ways that we drift away from God. Jesus consistently taught that there are two ways in which we sin against God. The first way that we drift away from God, the first way we sin against God, is the path of licentiousness or deliberate sinfulness. The woman caught in the act of adultery represents this way. The second way we drift away from God is the path of legalism or self-righteousness. Believing that we can earn God's approval or blessing through our own works. The Pharisees, who believed they were keeping the law perfectly, represent this. They thought they were meeting all the commands of the law. They thought they were pleasing God by whatever way in which they were obeying the law. They they completely underestimated the high standard of God's holiness. The holiness of God that we sung about this morning. And so Jesus kept telling, all through his teaching, all through his life, there are two ways we sin against God. The path of licentiousness or deliberate sin, or the path of legalism or self-righteousness, or trying to earn God's blessings by our own good works. And it's not just in this incident. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, the elder son, elder brother in the parable, represented the path of legalism. The younger brother in the parable represented the path of licentiousness. And then Jesus talked about this Pharisee and the tax collector who were praying together. The Pharisee represented the legalist, and the tax collector represented the, the licentious person. Two ways we drift away from God, two ways we sin against God. And there was also this sinful woman who had come to a dinner that a Pharisee hosted at Jesus' place. Again, this contrast between legalism and licentiousness. And of course, there is this incident where the Pharisees. The legalists on the one hand, and this woman caught in the act of adultery, licentious on the other hand. And in using so many situations and so many illustrations, where both legalism and licentiousness is brought into focus, Jesus is calling us to see that there are two ways in which you and I and everyone else can sin against God. The path of legalism and the path of licentiousness. I'm going to look at both for just a little bit this morning. First, we are all vulnerable to drift away from Christ on the path of licentiousness. At one level, we may not relate to the sinful woman in this incident. As I said earlier, I'm I'm sure no one here is committing adultery. So why should we... No, I don't think we're going to be really associating ourselves with her at all in that sense. But Jesus does something extremely interesting in this passage. He equalizes the woman caught in the act of adultery with everyone else on the scene. When Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, he is equalizing every one of us, with that sinful woman. Think about it. Had you been there that day, would you have been sinless to throw a stone at her? Would I? Am I without sin? No. There's absolutely no one here, or no one anywhere on this world, who is without sin. You and I may not commit adultery, but We are nevertheless not without sin Whether it is a rare sin like adultery Or or a whole bunch of common sins Like greed Or selfishness Or or gluttony Or being lax at our work Every sin disqualifies us from fellowship with a holy God Because God is holy Absolutely perfect Imperfection Sin cannot exist in God's presence. All sin, therefore, is equally grievous to God. All sin disqualifies us from fellowship with God. And you and I and every one of us, we all sin in willful ways. Surely there are things that you've done that you can't forgive yourself for. Surely there are things that you've done. Forget an external standard. Surely there are things you've done that you're not happy about. You look back and you tell yourself, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had had been a better person at that point in time. So even by our own conscience, every one of us, we have all sinned. And because we all sin, and because all sin grieves a holy God, we are all no better are no worse than this woman caught in the act of adultery. And therefore, this passage is so relevant to us, even though none of us may have committed adultery. And you and I, we're all vulnerable to sin against God, willfully sin against God, premeditatedly sin against God in the way of licentiousness. That's the first way we drift away from God. The second way we drift away from God is a rather surprising way. The second way we we drift away from God is on the path of legalism. We may not be Jesus-haters like these Pharisees were, but in the life we live, every one of us, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are all passively rejecting Christ to some extent or the other. To some degree or the other, we are all also behaving exactly like these Pharisees. We may not shame anyone publicly, but do we not judge people in our hearts? Do we not say cruel things about people in our hearts? Every time we we judge and condemn anyone in our hearts, we are behaving exactly like these Pharisees, who judge this woman caught in adultery. In every one of our lives, I'm sure there are several times when we know our sinfulness. We know we are wrong. We know we have sinned, but we find ways to justify our sinful lives and sinful behavior. We find ways to ignore it or we pretend on the outside that everything is fine, but on the inside we know we are sinning, we are grieving God. And every time we do this, we are acting just like these Pharisees. Uh, quite often, we all believe that we, uh, that we are entitled to receive God's blessing because we behaved like good Christians uh, for, for some time. And so we, there's a sense of entitlement, there's a sense that God should bless me. Because I have been a good Christian and in doing that we are behaving just like the Pharisee Because we are measuring God's blessing upon our life based on our good behavior In doing that we are rejecting the work of Christ on our behalf And so every one of us, it's not just Jesus who, who the Pharisees were trying to entrap in the course of everyday life Every one of us, or oh, we are all caught in the, in the trap of legalism and, and, and licentiousness. I mean, if, if this is still not connecting to your practical life, let, let me break it down to your career, uh, to the job that most of us hold. Um, several times in our lives, I'm sure, we have all pretended to be better workers than we are uh, in the eyes of our bosses. Uh, several times, we've all done that. That's licentiousness. And several times, I'm sure, we've kind of, um, you know, copped out of the work that we were supposed to do. And several days that we've just been so disinterested in our work and we've just pretended that we are working and, you know, we've been kind of checking the next holiday or, or whatever at, at work hours or doing some personal work and, you know, we, we all do that, right? Licentiousness. It's a trap. It's an everyday trap. It's not just our work. I mean, think of think of parenting and if you're a parent I'm sure that there are several days you've been extremely harsh on your kid legalism you've expected your kid to perform exactly the way you want your child to behave legalism now several days every parent will acknowledge that you've just given up licentiousness so in every sphere of life, every realm of life we're all, we all have to deal with this the reality of, of the trap of licentiousness and legalism. I need to say one more thing on this, and I, I think it's relevant uh, to many of us in your city. Many of you have been hurt by the legalism that you have seen in Christian circles. You may even have grown disillusioned with Jesus Because the only Christians you've seen in your life are legalistic Christians. Christians who keep telling you, you have to do this, do this, do this, measure up to my bar. Maybe it was your parents who did that. Maybe it was a church that you were part of that, that, that you did that. Maybe in an unintentional way, that's the message you got even from New City. We are not perfect either. Maybe that's the message you got from here. And so this is message of legalism, which none of us are immune to, Maybe that has made you disillusioned with Jesus. And just like these Pharisees were hypocrites, maybe you've grown up seeing Christian hypocrites all your life. If this is your first time in your church, welcome to a church of (laughs) hypocrites. We're all like that. So if you've been burnt, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by seeing legalistic Christianity, Let me just say one thing to you, and I say this in love. Your past experience, and I say this to people who are followers of Jesus, your past experience with legalistic Christians does not give you the license to lead a licentious life. Just because you've been hurt by legalistic Christians does not give you the license to go out and lead a life of rebellion against God and a life of licentiousness it is about time that you stopped living your life as a response to legalistic Christians, and it is about time that you started living your life as a response to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. There is no excuse. None of us have an excuse. At the end of the day, There there will come a day when every one of us will face God and we will have to give account to Him. We will all be judged and we will have to take responsibilities for the life choices we make, the lives we live. We will have to give account to God. That brings us to the third and the last thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. The power and the beauty of Christ. Christ power and the beauty of christ as i had mentioned earlier jesus did not take the easy way out the pharisees had failed to bring the man involved in the incident of adultery they only bought the woman and jesus did not use that as an excuse to not pass a judgment jesus did pass a judgment the first thing jesus did was he began to write on the ground What Jesus wrote on the ground, the Bible does not tell us. And if you're expecting an answer to that question in the sermon, I'm sorry, I have to disappoint you. I I don't know what what Jesus wrote on the ground. We can speculate. Uh, Sometimes I wonder, did Jesus write the Ten Commandments with his finger on the ground that day, demonstrating to the Pharisees, That he was the one who gave them the law they were quoting to him. May have been. That would have been very appropriate. I don't know. We don't know if that's what Jesus did. Sometimes I speculate that Jesus wrote down on the ground the sin every one of those Pharisees had committed in all his life. Maybe that's what shut them up. Maybe that's why nobody lifted a stone. Seems plausible, but I don't know. I don't think we can say anything conclusively. So we don't know what Jesus wrote. But we do know what Jesus said. And Jesus said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. That was the judgment that Jesus pronounced on the sinful woman. One by one, every one of them walked away. Until only Jesus was left with this woman and Jesus tells her neither do I condemn you and from now on sin no more the drama ended there but the question remains did Jesus break God's law in not punishing this woman for her sin this woman must have been punished should have been punished for God's law In not punishing her But in being merciful and forgiving her Was Jesus failing to honor The holy and just law Given by God his father And I hope to show you That Jesus wasn't breaking the law at all He was fulfilling the law In this incident Jesus fulfilled the law Jesus fulfilled the law in two ways First When Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first one to throw a stone and no one threw a stone at the women because they were all sinful in saying that Jesus was holding on to the principle of justice that someone who is guilty cannot judge another person. Someone with sin cannot judge and pronounce a judgment and execute a judgment. Someone who is sinful cannot execute a judgment on another sinful person. So in saying that Jesus disqualified all of them and as one by one they all walked away the only person left with this woman was the only sinless man ever to have lived on the face of the earth Jesus He's the only man the son of God himself who was tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin Jesus was the only one who had the right the only one just and fair enough and righteous enough to lift up a stone and punish her but Jesus did not throw the stone at her and in punishment instead Jesus took upon himself the stones of God's just wrath due upon this woman he took that punishment upon himself that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross where this woman should have been punished where you and I should have been punished for our sins Jesus stood as our substitute on the cross bearing God's just punishment for the sins of everyone who would believe in him upon himself this is the gospel that Jesus died And rose again from the dead Bearing the punishment for our sins So that we could be loved by God Blessed by God Accepted by God For all eternity That is the first way In which Jesus fulfilled the law By becoming The sinless substitute Standing in our place For our sins There is also a second way In which Jesus fulfilled the law Consider This woman caught in adultery. Imagine her shame. Imagine what she would have endured. The shame of being caught in the act. The shame of being dragged publicly. Imagine her plight. I would imagine that she would have stood there with her head bowed, her eyes fixed on the ground, not daring to look up in shame waiting for the stones to come hurtling towards her, wishing that the earth would open up and just bury her. In that moment, she would have known she was guilty. In that moment, she would have known she deserved the punishment, but not a stone was cast. As you imagine her shame, imagine her relief. Imagine her joy. Her joy in in that beautiful moment when she experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. Imagine what her heart would have gone through, her heart would have experienced in the moment Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, I forgive you. That's essentially, essentially what Jesus said, I forgive you. Imagine her joy, imagine her thankfulness in the moment, in that moment Jesus forgave her. She would have fixed her eyes on Jesus, she she would have felt the fullness of His love. As Jesus looked at her, as His gaze remained upon her, she would have experienced His mercy. She would have experienced a connection with Him, experiencing the compassion that He extended so freely. She would have experienced His grace in His eyes, in the eyes of Christ Christ this woman would have seen forgiveness and acceptance and not judgment and condemnation. Imagine the range of emotions this woman would have experienced. The love of Christ would have wiped away her her sin and shame. And as you imagine, as you imagine what she would have experienced in that moment when Jesus wiped away her sin and shame as you imagine that moment let me ask you a simple question would this woman have committed adultery again the next night having experienced such forgiveness would this woman have committed adultery again would she have sinned again And I would like to think, absolutely not. She would not have committed adultery again because the joy of forgiveness would have given her the power to overcome temptation and sin. This, too, is the gospel. Jesus did not tell her, from now on, behave well for the next one year. I will come back to you one year later. I will see if you have lived a good life. If you have lived a good life and if you have not committed adultery again, I will forgive you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I will forgive you, therefore go and sin no more. That is the gospel. Forgiveness comes first. Only the forgiveness of Christ can empower us to experience transformation in our lives that is the gospel forgiveness and grace comes first transformation follows not the other way around and this is the second way in which Jesus fulfilled the law he fulfilled the law by empowering the woman to obey the law through the power of his forgiveness you see punishment May or may not have transformed her. But Jesus helped her to obey the law, going forward through the power of His mercy, His grace and forgiveness. All attempts at legalism and religion says, "I obey, I'm a good person, therefore I'm accepted by God." This is wrong. I have to say this. Most of us have been taught this from childhood. Perhaps even in Sunday school. If you're good, God will bless you. No, no, you will be good only when God blesses and forgives you. We've got the order all wrong. Jesus says, you are first forgiven, loved and accepted. Therefore then, go and live a good life in response to this grace. You see, a good life does not earn the grace of God. The grace of God produces a good life. Let me repeat that. A good life, a good Christian life, does not earn the grace of God, because in God's high standard of holiness, it's not good enough. But grace produces a good life. This is the gospel. This is the central message of who Jesus is and what he had done for us, what he has done for us. If Jesus had told this woman, had only told this woman, go and sin no more, if that's all he had told her, he would have promoted legalism because he is telling this, you would have told this woman to be good in her own strength if he had only told her, go and sin no more. If Jesus had only told her, I forgive you, He would have promoted licentiousness or an idea of grace that does not include the holiness of God. But Jesus said, I forgive you, go and sin no more. This is grace expressed in the light of God's holiness. If we only see holiness, the holiness of God, apart from the grace of God, we will grow in legalism. If we only see the grace of God apart from the holiness of God, we will grow in licentiousness and it is in the cross of Christ it is in the death of Christ the death of Christ makes sense only when we see the grace of God and the holiness of God together if God was not holy if sin did not grieve God why would he need to send his son Jesus to die for us on the the cross grace makes no sense Unless we also see a holy God who will judge and punish every sin. But God is not only holy, he, was also, he is also merciful. And He made the provision of His Son to do something that we could never, none of us could ever do ourselves. That is justify ourselves before God. We needed Christ to justify us. We need Christ to justify us. Let me close with one last thought as you think of consider this this drama the pharisees could have lied they could have just lied and pretended they were sinless they could have you see the passage in the passage it's pretty clear what their motive was they wanted to trap jesus and when jesus said who was without sin throw the first stone The Pharisees could all have lied and said, I am without sin, I have met God's law, and they could have picked up the stone and flung it at the woman. And yet, not one of them did that. Why not? Why could they not, even though they wanted to trap Jesus, even though they wanted to trick Jesus, and we know that they ended up crucifying Christ, not too long after this incident. When that's what they wanted to do, why did the Pharisees not lie that they were sinless and throw a stone at this woman? You think about it, the answer is pretty simple. When in the presence of Christ, it is impossible to deny or hide our sins. There is power in the presence of Jesus. When you are with Jesus, when you consider Jesus the Son of God, it is impossible to hide or deny our sin. Which is why none of the Pharisees dared to lift a stone. Because they were convicted. They knew Jesus could see every one of their sins. But here's the saddest part of the incident. Having known Jesus saw their sin, these Pharisees could have have repented and asked for forgiveness. And Jesus would have forgiven them. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing to the people who are crucifying him. If Jesus was willing to forgive them, Jesus would surely have forgiven these Pharisees. The saddest thing in the passage is they hardened their hearts and walked away from Jesus. And there's a warning and a lesson for all of us. Who would you rather be? in this drama who would you rather be? would you rather be the sinful woman whose sin was exposed publicly but she herself was cowered by God's grace? or would you rather be the Pharisee who managed to hide his, their shame and keep their reputation intact but who had to walk away from Jesus for all eternity If you are who we would call a follower of Jesus Let me ask you a simple question What fault can you find with Christ? What reason do you have to reject him? Why would you reject someone? Why would you reject a God who gave his life for you? Do you know any other gods who gave his life for you? who became a sacrifice for your sins and mine so who would you rather be would you rather be the sinful woman whose shame was exposed but she herself was covered by God's grace or would you be the Pharisee who sadly walked away from Jesus for all eternity who would you rather be let us pray father we repent for every one of us Lord we uh, we hide our sin we justify our sin we explain away our sins we uh, live lives as hypocrites Uh, pretending to be good and and being a good Christian on the outside, where inside we know that we are not measuring up to the bar, that we ourselves hold others to. And then we should be justly punished, justly rejected by God. And yet, there is Jesus standing between us and God. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in every way, equal to God in every way. He came and laid down his life, bearing the punishment for our sins upon himself. And he rose again from the dead to bring us eternal life with him. So Lord, I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that as we face this trap of licentiousness and legalism, we would walk in the way of the gospel. That we would drift less and less into these two ways and we would walk in the way of Jesus. We pray for those of us who are explorers of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would reveal your Son to them. That you would move, you would tug at their hearts, you would speak to their hearts even now, and and birth in their hearts by your Holy Spirit of faith in this Jesus, the Son of God, who laid down his life for them. So help us, Lord. Help every one of us here. Help every one of us here to love Jesus and believe in Him more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.